0: In this episode of the Photography News Podcast, Kingsley uses his phone to take pictures, Will goes gardening, and Roger forgets his camera. Hello and welcome to the latest Photography News Podcast. So we've made it to 11, they've let us back into the recording studio. My name is Roger Payne, I am the Editorial Director at Photography News, and I'm delighted to be joined, as usual, uh, by my two cohorts, First and foremost, he's slurping his tea and he was yawning away a few minutes ago. So he's bound to be bang on for <laughs> its contribute to get it to
1: Kingsley Singleton. Hi, Kingsley. Hello again. Are you awake? Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm busting to go. <laughs> and is, that, is that tea in that, in that glorious
0: mug that you're squeaking or is it something a bit stronger?
1: I'm bursting with photo tips and uh, I'm not under the influence of anything other than uh, Yorkshire tea. Marvelous. Well, lovely
0: to have you on board, and also in glorious detail and slurping from his Spurs mug, which is uh, you know quite offensive at uh, this time in the morning, Um but in glorious webcam detail because you've got a new webcam, Mr. Photography and the editor of Photography News, Will Chung.
2: Hi guys, how are we doing? And I, I must say I am loving the quality of the Fujifilm webcam software. So I've actually got Fujicam, camera mounted on a mini tripod in front of me. Hence, you can see me in glorious detail. But maybe wow. I should put a soft focus filter on it, smudge That's me a bit.
0: All, all the wrinkles are plain to see, Will. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you very much. Well, good, good to have you on board. And may I start this podcast, because obviously at the end of the last podcast, Will, you left our listeners uh, with a little bit of a tease about the fact that you had just gone out and bought a brand new camera. Can you? Would you like to share what that camera is and why you bought it?
2: Okay, yes, I I did have a little tease there. I decided to invest in a Nikon Z7 full-frame mirrorless. It's been out, as you know, for a couple of years, but so so I haven't thought about it until fairly recently. But then I've decided I wanted to shoot full-frame and still travel light with what I've got, so I invested in the Z7. And it came with an adapter, so I can use my existing Nikon lenses. So now, at the moment, I'm I'm tramping around the countryside with a Z7 24-70 and an old 70-300 lens. And it's great. It's a nice little
1: combination. Loving it. And how long was it um, to the hour after you purchased it to the point that Nikon teased the replacements to those cameras? It, it wasn't to the hour. I think it
2: was within minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> no, okay. it's not. It's not a problem. But it's exactly what I want, and um, it, it suits me perfectly. So I'm enjoying it. Yes, yeah, so I, I invested in the Z7. So very happy with it. Um, still getting used to it, to be fair. But it's you know very highly featured product and it produces excellent pictures
0: so so presumably then will you have been using that as much as possible over the last sort of few weeks since we last spoke
2: yeah i've been out for a few shoots i haven't done a great deal to be honest i've been um apart from doing clouds and sunsets because we've had some phenomenal clouds recently you know the very storms that came in i think when i think alex was the last one that came in and the skies where we were just staggering and i know photographing skies isn't that interesting in a way but I'm quite fascinated by it and I actually want to take these pictures not only as they for the right in their own right but also maybe to use as backgrounds for for other pictures. I'm starting to, you know, in lockdown I just want to to develop my Photoshop skills a little bit more so um, that's one reason I've been photographing skies. So I did that and the other day um, the local photo group we were talking about photographing the full moon and looking at the app I was using the photographer's ephemeris and I could see that. The new road, the a- A14, which goes fairly close to where I live. Uh, the moonrise, was is right at the end of the the A14, in effect. So we went into the bridge over the A14 about six thirty, waiting waited for moonrise. And sure enough, we got a we got a full moon. It, it was wonderful. The only problem we had was there's a protection fence. I don't know why they've got a fence there because it actually doesn't stop people jumping into the road, but it's high enough that if you use a tripod. You actually have to have the thing at full extension, including the centre column fully up. So I had to have the tripod above my head right. to photograph over the bridge on the A14 with the moon rising in the background.
0: And presumably, Will, you were uh, uh, produ- wanting to produce something like the famous Ansel Adam moonrise image, but, but only over the A14. So it so doesn't have quite, quite a
2: stable It's going to be moonrise A14. <laughs> Not quite <laughs> romantic, I'm afraid, but I've got some good light trails. And the Z7 actually did really well because with the monitor that tilted back when I was, had the camera high up, I could see what was going on, that the touch, touch panel at the back worked really well as well. So I'm okay. very happy.
0: Good stuff. And Kingsley, as a fellow Nikon
1: user, um, I'm sure you approve, first of all, of Will's purchase. I do, uh, apart from the fact that it doesn't have a 2 after it, which is kind of, <laughs> well, I, I'm really excited, actually, by the, I mean, I don't know anything about it. We've got a briefing later on today, actually, about what the new cameras are going to be like. So I'm kind of really interested to see what what sort of additions are going to be made to them, because it's a bit like how Nikon used to do S versions of, there was a uh, 70S, wasn't there, and sort of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, right. I, uh, most recently, I've been getting rained on in various places around the country. I <laughs> yeah I went to a couple of weeks ago I spent the um, best part of a week in the Peak District doing landscaping which was really nice and I stayed uh, near Macclesfield Forest or sort of in Macclesfield Forest which is uh, a very lovely part of the world I kind of spent a long time sort of discounting the peaks in a way as a landscaping destination because it always seemed a bit more attractive to go to a bit further to Wales or into Scotland or to somewhere like that or to go to the coast but actually i I've, I've I've experienced an epiphany Rog that I actually am now a big Peaks fan. So it's a lovely that, place. Yeah. yeah. So we've spent a nice uh, stayed in a nice, nice accommodation. Um spent the week sort of going up a lot of things and round other things. Went to um there's quite a famous spot called the Roaches, which I went up at sunset a couple of times. Yeah. And another place actually, which is quite near the um place I was staying called Shuttlingslow, which is called the Cheshire Matterhorn. Um, locally, um, and it was quite it's it's a reasonably vertical walk but it's not actually sort of that difficult so I went up there a couple of times as well and sort of lots of high shots did you see the winking man uh the winking man I didn't the winking man is a stone isn't it that kind of as you drive right. past it there's a hole in it that appears to sort of like an eye that winks isn't there yeah
0: no, that's right yeah <laughs> i think it's, it's some way outside
1: like buxton i think it is. So it's, it's on the road leading into buxton or out of buxton yeah it's definitely in that area um and it's like as i was driving around it did just seem like um, there's just loads of possibilities around yeah. there. um in in a way that i think i think i'd only i can't remember exactly where i'd been before, but it was a place with the millstones, and I, I found it a bit disappointing. I seem to remember, but I probably went at the wrong time or in the wrong weather. The, the weather actually was was okay, but but sort of fleeting. The two sunsets I did were kind of there and then gone. They weren't particularly sort of intense. And when I went up the roaches, I also got heavily midged, which I wasn't <laughs> expecting. It's <laughs> uh, Scotland, you sort of expect it, but I came back and I'd, like, I'd virtually lost my forearms to these kind of n- nibbling insects. Um, just add it. Just add it to the
0: list of your yeah. ongoing, <laughs> your ever increasing list of landscape photography
1: related injuries. <laughs> dragged around like an hors d'oeuvre for invertebrates. Yeah. Well, at least
2: you didn't trip over, break anything, or or get your nose stuck to the tripod because it was so cold.
1: <laughs> I did actually have a fall. Wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't you soon, Will. Oh,
0: well good to hear that you're up to your usual hapless self in yeah. terms of falling <laughs> over and generally causing yourself injury well done um well I've had a I I must admit I've had a pretty barren few weeks for photography I did however um go to London which I know is not really the sort of necessarily the done thing um London but that there London um masked up on the train uh, which was largely empty um and I was going down for a for a meeting so unfortunately I didn't actually have a camera with me but I went to um I went to Covent Garden and was just amazed at how quiet it all was down there and I thought from a photographic perspective I know it's been quieter obviously when the full sort of national lockdown was on I know it's been quieter than that but um from a from a photographic perspective I almost thought I really need to be Um, going back there while this while Mm. this sort of situation is still is still as it is because I mean you are seeing London in a way that I've personally have never seen it before Um, apart from when I was on the old Futter 24 stuff and wandering around at three in the morning when nobody else is about Um, but yeah it's a really fantastic opportunity
1: but even then you you have people setting up You know, stalls, don't you, going to and from work um, or coming home from work? And they're kind of, but it sort of reminds me of, um, you remember the opening scenes of 28 Days Later, where they went to enormous lengths to get empty streets. But I'm sort of surprised that, you know, these cities must be full of people filming post apocalyptic movies yeah. or perhaps just documentaries <laughs> absolutely
0: well it was it was quite striking and definitely sort of made a mental note to uh, to go back down then but the one sort of photographically related thing that I did to while I was there um was I visited uh the well I say recently opened it's actually nearly opened about a year ago now the Fujifilm House of Photography which is uh just round the corner from the Covent Garden station on Longacre and i I know Will you've you've visited when I think the the place opened but it's it was actually the first time that i'd set foot through the door there and i have to admit i mean it's it's a pretty tremendous um, facility it's it's like i the only way i can equate it really is it's like an apple store but for fujifilm cameras in mm. that everything's there you can pick everything up you can obviously pretty much buy everything i would imagine um and you've got a lot of people hanging around who want to who want to talk to you and are extremely knowledgeable about about the camera kit and I just thought it's like it's quite a refreshing sort of new model for how, you know, photographic retail could work going forwards. What, what do you reckon, Will?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I was impressed when it was launched and I went back there several times because I was often in the West End anyway, pre-lockdown. And you're right. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a great showroom for future film cameras, but it's also a great spot just to go for photography because, you know, you go up a couple of levels and there's a, there was an exhibition on, for instance, and I know you can hire a studio there as well, and and, um, I thought it was a great experience, and especially it's free, and you just go in and wander around, and okay, you don't have to be a Fujifilm um, addict or, or an expert on the product, but just go and enjoy the, soak up the atmosphere. And as you're right, it could be the way photographic retail could work in the future.
0: So it's the sort of time of year which, uh, where we're moving into, we've obviously waved goodbye to summer and we're moving into autumn. And I'm sure there is much debate amongst photographers about um, the best season of the year. But I'm going to put I'm going to put my uh, flag in the sand and say categorically that autumn for me is without doubt the best time of year to be out out and about with your camera so I thought that we'd um it'd be worthwhile just chatting through a few a few techniques and ideas for people who are uh, wanting to make the most of uh, of this fantastic up and coming season but before we jump into that what about you chaps are you are you in agreement with me that autumn is by far the best time to be out and about with your camera or are you more sort of spring summer or winter kind of guys Kingsley oh
2: oh sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, after you. (laughs) I I was just going to say that um, I think the only season that I don't particularly like for landscape photography is summer. And that's only because the hours where you sort of want to be shooting are so inaccessible. Although having said that, I have on occasion done this sort of thing where you you, you kind of sleep all day and shoot all night. So you kind of you get up for sunset, you do some sort of Milky Way photography in the middle of the night and then you're around for dawn. And you've, you've probably only covered like six hours. And then, you know, so you almost have to adjust your body clock for summer. But, yeah, I think ultimately autumn, autumn and spring, particularly because, you know, you have those kind of those colours and those mists and those kind of accessible hours.
2: You yeah, know, uh, Roger, it irks me that um, I actually have to agree with you on this point, because I think you're <laughs> right. Autumn is the best season photographically. Um, and the, the weather is good. The timing, of the, the, the sunrise and sunset is very sociable. So like even now, if I finish work around five thirty, quarter six, I'll go out. Photograph sunset, for instance, and sunrise is, what, 6.30-ish? And so, so I think they're very sociable hours as well. But it's not just that. It's also what you get in autumn. I mean, the colour of the trees, fungi, interesting weather. I don't think you can go wrong. And although you, you mentioned London being quite empty, you know, in the mists as well in, in the city, there's mm. some lovely pictures with that aerial perspective you get of, you know, the line of recession as the mist takes out the, takes out the contrast. Yeah. Now, I think now a stunning time. So... I'm always packed with my bag ready and batteries charged, ready to go this time of year.
0: I think I think for me it's all about it's the quality of the light. Um, and I'm a I'm a sort of relatively early morning dog walker. And, and take this morning as an example, and we're we're, we're just into October. Um, But I was out at sort of quarter to seven this morning, just as the sun was coming up. Now, it was very cloudy and overcast this morning, but there was just that absolute sweet spot where you've got a really overcast sky. But there's a little sort of gap in the cloud between the horizon and just as the sun comes up. And it's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, obviously. I didn't have a camera with me because it, was, it was a trend. <laughs> I'd gone out. It was raining, and I, you know, and so I thought, no, I'm not going to bother taking the camera out. But of course, I've done this so many times, and I keep on saying to myself, I've got to remember to take a camera with me every time. But the the quality of the light, and you get the same at the end of the day, the sort of you know the raking shadows across fields and what have you, you mm-hmm. just can't beat it.
1: On a sort of a slight digression about taking a camera with you, so I, I've got one of the modern or the latest iPhones. And I did uh, when I was in the peaks that I mentioned just just now. I did um, I had that with me, and I was out around twilight, and I took a, a four second handheld exposure with it, which was really good. So I, I, actually, I think you know, it's I know that people have been saying for years, "Oh, is our real camera is dead? You know, is is a is a phone all you need?" It, it, it was amazing. what no, sh- we weren't we weren't <laughs> going to get into this, but with the digression, so what you're basically saying, Kingsley, is an iPhone is a good camera. Is that what you're saying? I'm not I'm not saying it's the only camera you need, but if, if one was on an early morning dog walk, I think it's sufficient uh, you know, these days to kind of have have a because they're so the quality from this so brilliant.
0: Well, I'm not as well healed as you, Kingsley. I've only got an <laughs> iPhone five. What have you got? You've probably got an iPhone 115, five, haven't you? <laughs> it's,
1: it's something like that.
2: <laughs> well, can I just interject and just add Kingsley was talking about long exposures on the iPhone, but I've been testing what camera recently, which I was really impressed with and it goes to the other extreme from an iPhone. I had a Canon EOS R5, which is 45 megapixels, 8K video, all the rest of it. It's an expensive camera, it's over £4,000. But I took that out for for an evening walk. I was hand-holding that two seconds and getting pin-sharp pictures. I was so impressed. I know Canon, well, all the manufacturers do it. They all make these extravagant claims. But that particular occasion, I actually, I thought they were well justified. So I don't, um, I I never go out cameraless. But I know taking in the R5 is probably the other extreme from the, from the phone.
0: Thank you for bringing it back, Will. I think what Kingsley's basically just done there is handed in his notice. <laughs> <laughs> funny way to do it but kingsley any Not any,
1: any come back <laughs> oh, well is it or more like a sort of i can do this as a as a sort of a suicide note <laughs> should we go back to autumn let's
0: do that shall we autumn. Yeah, let's do that yeah
1: okay so so where about in terms
0: of um i mean i'm lucky enough to live out in relatively rural area so i do i can sort of literally walk out of my front door and straight onto a, a sort of woody footpath I appreciate that not everybody is, is as fortunate as that. So so what, what do we think about locations? I mean, is it is it a kind of like just find the locations around where we live or, or do we think we should go further afield to really make the most of it?
2: Well, speaking personally, I mean, although I'm not that far away from woods and, and some ruralness, um, my favourite location is from here, from where I live, near Cambridge. It's nearly four hours drive and that's Westenburg Arboretum. Uh, down in is it Wiltshire I can't remember which county it's in but it's quite a long way away but if you can get there it's a fantastic location I mean the problem is well I say it's a problem it's just because it's very very popular uh, for obvious reasons although this year might be different with the lockdown and everything else and you have to you know pre-book to go but if you can get to Westonbirt Arboretum I think it's wonderful I know it's been called the Disneyland of trees and in a way it's right or well, this, this right of colour and organised colour you get down there. But it's an incredible place. But there are plenty of arboretum around the country. So if you can't get to Westernburg, you know, check out your local ones.
1: Kingsley, you're a fan of Westenburg? Well, I, I've only been once and I thought it was brilliant. And I actually went with some fun guy. called I took I took away several um, things from that trip. Um, one of which is Will has a car that's very well stocked with small bags that organize things like leads and, and small <laughs> sort of accessories and things and lots of snacks in his car, which is quite good. Right. But, um, oh, but one of the things was I think there's a sort of an idea that to shoot sort of landscape things and, and nature photography, you have to stick to those kind of very early and or late hours. And partly you can think, well, actually, you can't get into the arboretum until about I don't know what it is, sort of half eight or nine o'clock or something. So you sort of think, oh, well, is it a bit too late? But actually, when you're in those places, the the, the the rules work a bit differently and you can shoot for longer because the sun is broken into into sort of pools of light and shade. You know, or if you're lucky to get a bit of mist, you have those kind of sun rays coming through. So, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing place. And as Will says, there are arboretum all over the country. And all you've got to do is Google it and, and you'll probably find Somewhere pretty close. Something else I'd recommend if you want woodland for autumn is there's a, or well, there used to be, I think there probably still is, a page on the um, Woodland Trust's website where they give you a sort of a live, a live sort of map situation of how the leaves are turning in colour. So they go obviously some sort of yellow to red, and then and then off. Um, but um, it, that's that that's really handy, and so you can pick out kind of locations which are local to you. Excellent. I mean, presumably none of this is really that matter, matters that much to you, Kingsley, because you'll be shooting on
0: your iPhone and just changing, changing the filters uh, on the phone before you <laughs> it's the Instagram put it off on Instagram, yeah. right? Yeah, fantastic. So what about, what about, I mean, so, so when you were there, I'm being obviously uh, very flippant, but when you were there, in terms of, because um, I'd imagine if you just walk into a location where there's loads of trees and it's fantastic colour, how do you go about sort of actually making the pictures that you end up making in terms of um you know picking bits out and isolating particular parts to 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 kind of make it work
1: based on that I I think that there's this is probably a similar thing for most landscape photography but particularly in woodland whenever you're working in woodland it's a chaotic and very busy environment so actually wide angle lenses tend not to be you know quite so effective as when you're working out in the open Um, and I found generally when I was there and generally in woodland too that using short telephoto and telephoto lenses at fairly wide apertures really helps with that because you can pick out little subjects kind of through the mess of other leaves and also when it's kind of all quite busy you can also get very close to other leaves and use them as sort of defocused foregrounds which kind of gives you this nice sense of depth Throughout the image anything to add will is that very much
0: the approach you take
2: so often when i get to a location i would just take a deep breath and just ponder for a little bit just get into the feel for what's around um and and just see what the light's doing and see what the conditions are doing um and obviously the conditions do dictate how you shoot so for instance if it's very windy or if it's pouring down your rain obviously affects how you how you work and I disagree with Kingsley a little bit but I do what I think wide angles do have a, a role although you have to be careful in places like in Westonburg because there are so many people around so you have to watch what's going on but you know if you went for a low camera position for instance with you know this, the loads of leaves in the foreground and you know it's been known for me to move leaves around to make sure my foreground is full of colour but I think wide angle lenses work but also macro lenses work really well and as do telephoto and, and macro is one of my things I love and um, with uh, things like fungi and colour and patterns and texture and water ops all that sort of thing a, a great opportunity to, to photograph
0: uh, and what do you consider to be um, optimum weather conditions in terms of because I guess a lot of people would say you know to photograph a woodland I'm thinking here is it bright sunshine or is it actually better if it's overcast
2: I prefer cloudy overcast, oh, sorry, bright overcast, I think you would call it. So the sun might be just peeking out, but it's a nice diffusion of cloud. And the things about it, if you were out for the day, and if you're lucky enough to get a range of weather, that's even better. So you might get the bit of sun, you might get a bit of cloud with a diffusion, you might get a drop of rain as well. And rain can, and water can add a dimension to it too. And if you don't get any rain, and in parts I've done it, where I've taken a, you know, one of those little spray bottles that people in the uh, garden <laughs> And I'll add water to, to uh, the odd leaf on photographic just to make it a bit more interesting. It's so I like um, a range of weather in my shots.
1: This just just I was going to say about um, about the weather, but this is Will's um, frantic gardening uh, is <laughs> quite you know it's that's quite divisive <laughs> I think amongst a lot of sort of landscape and nature photographers. I, I went to um, I was at Padley Gorge last year and. there was some it it was almost like someone had actually placed a load of leaves on a rock in the foreground of a of a waterfall and i sort of looked at this thing and instinctively kind of didn't want to take the picture because it (laughs) seemed like it had been constructed but going back to kind of what um will was saying about weather i think again um woodland and particularly in autumn is is a is a good time to go out when if if you actually do have a cloudless day it, it can be a good place to sort of rock up because you're getting that kind of the sun's getting blocked but also because leaves are slightly translucent by their nature you get this kind of glow if you start backlighting everything and that's something I seem to remember trying to do a lot of when I was down there at Westenburg. One other thing that um, is a good tip for woodland stuff is to use a polarizer and a lot of people sort of assume that they're just for things like you know for these kind of big open landscapes and you know getting a bit more blue in the sky and stuff. But actually, if you use one in woodland, you cut out a lot of the reflection off the foliage. so that's kind of that that can make the scene less contrasty mm. and a bit more kind of mellow. and that that segues beautifully into the 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 last
0: question that i was going to ask it on on that and that is i'm intrigued to hear about will's bags of stuff in his car which sounds (laughs) slightly slightly dodgy but we'll move past that quite quickly so what what bags of stuff would you be packing will to take of like i'm thinking accessories and just general extra bits and bobs that you would take out when you uh when you were doing your um your your shoots your autumnal shoots
2: yeah, I think he's been rummaging through my boot. I mean, I do have <laughs> a one that organises with uh, lots and lots of pockets. I do have lots of things in there in case I forget things like, you know, like tripod plates. Sometimes it's p- particularly when I'm testing cameras. I have tripod plates for my own cameras, but sometimes I forget to bring spares. So I, I have spares. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, the photographically, I, I take along a macro lens. I take along extension tubes as well often. And also, nowadays, I take one of these LED lights. I mean, the one I'm holding in my hand is a Manfrotto Lunimuse, which is a six LED um, rechargeable light. And some of those things can be handy, you know, just to add a bit of, don't overdo it, just add a bit of spark to your pictures. And it's also useful when you're shooting things like fungi, where, you know, they ch- they often lived in very, very dim conditions. But be I mean, from the photographic stuff, I would also suggest, and this, this is quite important, especially if you've got old knees like me, I've got a pair of those soft uh, Velcro-attached knee pads. Right. <laughs> so not only do you protect your trousers, but it makes you more comfortable when you're grovelling on the ground doing your gardening, as Kingsley says, uh, which, of course, most photographers do, just that he doesn't. And so when you're grovelling on the ground, it just makes you a bit more comfortable. And same, I also take on those rugged bin bags, you know, rubble bags, again, for sitting on or for kneeling on. Or Because often this time of year, it, it is a bit muddy, so you might as well... Not just get the right gear. What was the thing about extra gear, you know, non-photographic extra gear like that? I think um, I yeah, I definitely
1: echo the idea of like sort of good pair of all-weather trousers. Um, I'm not quite at the knee pad stage yet. Although basically think, <laughs> thinking about Will's little kind of. Stuff in his car, and realise I'm just basically following him into kind of middle age and kind of later on. And so uh, I'm just, you know, in ten years' time, I'll be going, oh, knee pads. That's what I'm after. <laughs> but actually, it's true, like anything that can stop you getting covered in mud, or at least it doesn't matter, is is a good thing given given your history with landscape photography kingsley i'm amazed that you don't go out
0: encased entirely in bubble wrap <laughs>
1: that surely would be. i've never had a, yeah i've never had a tree fall on me yet but i suppose there's a there's a, there's a this time. Time. oh my god you've heard it here first folks. <laughs> the other um the other one i suppose and it's a given really for landscapes but uh, you you do need a tripod when working in woodland because it is dark um and even if you're shooting at wide apertures you still can be down in the in the in the sort of fractions of a second because that because the light is literally being sucked out before it kind of reaches you by the leaves. So it's, it's you know, it, it, it they are kind of dark and gloomy places, but lovely places as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed well fantastic advice gents hopefully that's uh, that's been very useful to you and obviously we would we would love to see uh, your autumnal images as you when you get out and take them so you can share those with us on on social media it's probably the easiest way to do that um the uh, the handle for our twitter facebook and instagram pages are all at photo news pn um obviously we're also regularly updating our website which is photographynews.co.uk. Uh, And that is also the place to go if you would like to read the magazine digitally. Um, it's all free. Uh, you can download it and save it for later, or you can just read it online at the same time, which leads me nicely on to asking you, Will. I presume you've got an issue that's uh, going to have some autumn content in coming up. What, what else are we what else are we going to expect in the next issue?
2: Well, you mentioned autumn content. So there's a, a buyer's guide on kit that you should have in your bag for this this time of year. And there's also a feature about workflow and workflows. I mean, it's one of those buzzwords, isn't it, workflow. But uh, we're encouraging a a sensible workflow from from capture all the way through to final output. And, you know, speaking of which on final output, you know, we print a lot. But in this particular case, I'm viewing you on a new monitor, which is a BenQ monitor, which I'm testing at the moment. This is the SW321C. It's a 32-inch monitor, and you two look uh, gruesome on it. So damn good. (laughs) Uh, there's also a test on the aforementioned canon i mentioned which is the uh, eos r5 which is probably the most talked about camera this year Partly of all the hype with canon talking about 8k video and now all the people who bought the thing are talking about how the fact overheats shooting 8k video but i do have to ask the question why do people shoot 8k video but hey that's a question (laughs) to put out there but it's a busy issue full of good stuff so i hope the readers enjoy it
0: Uh, which i'm sure they will Moving along, um, we thought we would answer some reader questions. But before we get into that, um, just a quick uh, shout out for Stephanie Stevenson. That's not I'm glad I've got my teeth in to say that. Uh, Stephanie Stevenson, who got in touch with us and Kingsley, she mentioned that um, she'd heard about this sort of mystery church that uh, that you you mentioned on the last (laughs) podcast and actually sent us some rather nice pictures that she'd done of it as well. So
1: perhaps not quite such a mystery after all. It's probably a different church. I'm not sure anyone has been to that same church. It's very, uh, it's not really. Yeah, no one really knows about it.
0: well based on the images that you produce she's she's certainly done better
1: so um
0: (laughs) anyway but but actually that does lead on to a question that we got from uh from ashley now i don't know whether ashley's actually a lady or a gentleman so apologies for that but ashley just asked a very simple question um do you guys have any tips about revisiting the same location multiple times kingsley i'm going to come to you first because clearly you do (laughs) you do it a lot going back to this mythical church um but what do we think i mean revisiting locations over and over again difficult to produce different pictures or dead easy in your book i
1: i just go back there to check that it's still there because <laughs> it's sort of case like you know, it only comes out at a certain hour or when it's touched by moonlight or something like that i i know i think it's kind of it's a really good thing actually to have something locally uh, a location that you like um that you can visit because it gives you it gives you a, you know a quick kind of dose of photography when you need it it means you know you have to jump in the car and drive for hours and hours and hours and it's also something where you can you can practice new techniques you can you can sort of explore it through the season i mean we've just been talking about about autumn there's it, it's a really nice project if you can kind of keep going back to the same place and exploring it how it looks in different light and different seasonality and snow frost you know in the middle of summer even. But also from different angles. I mean, that particular mythical church, I've obviously been to many times. But recently, I I drove to um, the opposite side of the water onto this peninsula that kind of looks at it from a different angle to to try. And this wasn't I didn't actually take a proper camera with me. Um, It was more like a scouting trip to see what I could get. And I I worked out that at, at the right sort of moment, I will be able to shoot it from the other side and get a picture that I haven't done before. So. You know, I, I think it sort of helps your problem solving in a way. And, and the more that you practice on things like that, the, the more that you can apply it when you go to somewhere new. You know, you, you, you've, you start to build up those those kind of those parts of your sort of photographic arsenal to kind of try and, you know, to, to problem solve and to, to work out how to best use kind of new
2: locations.
0: Will, you're you're nodding away. I'm alarmed that you seem to be agreeing with Kingsley again.
2: <laughs> well, I'm also intrigued by this mythical church. I have to go looking for it with um, with him to see what it's like. um the thing about locations, of course, and he men- Kingsley mentioned mentioned projects as well, but it depends how you define a location. I mean, we're talking about this very specific uh, church, but um, I mean locations can be bigger as well. So, for instance, I've got a project on the Docklands Light like Railway, and that location is quite a large area. And I've been back there maybe 30, 40, 50 times. And you're always getting something different. And so you always, you, you know, even though it's quite a large area and being 50, 50 times, it, you, it means you still have to go there at different times a day to get different pictures. And to if I haven't been there for the last six months because of lockdown, but I, I, I would love to go back. So it depends how you define a, a location. But I certainly advocate going back to the same location more than once, even if it's a tiny place or and, mythical and, and-
0: and, and would you guys ever go to the same location, but with completely different kit or or want to kind of like limit yourself? So you might say, well, normally I'd take my full kit bag and obviously your boot full of uh, leads and all that sort of stuff will. But actually, you might go back to another location or the same location, but actually just have one camera and one lens or case one iphone um <laughs> is, is that one way is that a way of, of looking at uh, at the same location in a different way as well
2: I, I certainly certainly think uh gear makes a difference and if you've got you know a fisheye lens or an ultra wide angle lens or you just acquired a macro lens that does change the way you think and um, but personally i am one of these people who'd like to take would like to take everything i can to a location so rarely do i go you know with anything less than a very heavy bag Although that's that is changing. Now that I've acquired a lighter mirrorless full frame camera, I might start just going one camera, one lens, maybe. Fair enough.
0: Well actually hopefully that, that gives you some, some advice for getting out and uh taking pictures in a uh in a at a location that you're visiting multiple times. And then I'll we'll move on to uh the second question, uh which comes from Jane in Leicester. And she said she enjoyed Annie's answers on the last pod about macro photography. Um, She uh, and and basically talking about things that make macro easier. Annie mentioned something called a plamp, which she is aware of, but wondered if she has any further suggestions for useful gadgets that will help her get better results on uh, macro images. Now, unfortunately, Annie's not with us today. (laughs) (laughs) But Hey, if we get enough letters, we'll definitely we'll definitely get her back. Um but uh, uh Kingsley, any any particular thoughts, macro accessories rather than lenses and cameras, I I guess is what Jane's getting at here.
1: Yeah, I I mean I just start off by saying I think Annie's Answers is a is a good name for a segment. You know? I agree. Annie's yeah. answers, yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah, she'll basically replace Will at some point. Um <laughs> Well that's I, both I, of you
0: I, out, there. it's just gonna yeah. be big,
1: I think um, I, I think obviously the kit that you uh, use depends on what you're photographing and although I uh, I have shot plenty of macro stuff um, I don't tend to shoot macro wildlife like Will and Annie were talking about but I tend to shoot more kind of still life kind of macro stuff things florals and you know little objects and watches and stuff like that and so from that point of view because it's not moving I've kind of used um, uh, focusing rails before which are you know a, a good A good thing because obviously you can so that you can set the lens at its minimum focus and then just sort of move it until the part of the object is in focus that you want so that's kind of quite a good um a good bit of kit and they're not particularly expensive um something else on that um on that score is is actually moving the object you you can uh, as, as a macro thing particularly when it's a still life so if you put your object on like a piece of card or something then you can actually move it or you can leave your camera locked off and move the object around um which is you know to stop Messing around with your tripod too much, but the only other thing that I thought of based on the still life stuff is things like backgrounds and reflectors and stuff are all very handy for macro work, so particularly I've found kind of shooting floral things that you know if you get if you just go to your local art shop and buy some colored card you know and you get um contrasting colors, complementary colors um you know so you've got a yellow flower, you put a blue background behind it, and you know you you, you sort of cook up something that's quite different to what you have when you don't have a background you know you can play with colour and it makes the whole thing a bit more interesting
2: i find it amazing that kingsley has a go at me about gardening but what he does is actually move the subject not just garden it he moves it that's this is art this is art not wildlife but anyway the um i, I know it's uh, the same old bit of advice but i would just say look make sure you've got a really good tripod and one that suits um, and one of these tripods that's got a multi-angle head, for instance, would be quite useful. I mean, I know a couple of popular ones is a Vanguard uh, 263CB, I think it is, which has got a, a column that you can adjust the angle on, and there's a Manfrotto tripod as well. The uh, or oh, it's a it's a B3 GTX Pro, and that can have the centre column rearranged it so it sticks out, so you're shooting for flat lays. So, one thing I would say, I know everybody's probably got a tripod of some sort but if you want to do more macro in a in a deeper way then consider the support that's really important absolutely good stuff
0: well well thanks for thanks for those uh, those answers chaps hopefully uh, both jane and ashley will be uh, well and truly uh, full to the brim with with photographic knowledge on the basis of those uh, on the basis of those answers maybe. so um i think that maybe yeah. <laughs> um, so i think that that brings us pretty much to the end of uh, of this episode of the photography news podcast however obviously regular readers will know readers regular listeners will know that we never end a podcast without a will's word of wisdom so will give it your best shot
2: well look i've been witching around about tripods a lot on this podcast and going back to the very beginning when i was saying that i was shooting with a tripod at full extension over a bridge because i had to but often I've, I've walked around, and I, and I do want to say to people, but I, I don't, because I'm gonna get slapped. But I see people using their tripods often with the center column fully up, but haven't extended the legs, yeah. and then they wonder probably why their their f 2.8 expensive Canon, Nikon, Olympus, whatever zoom lens is not delivering sharp pictures. is because their tripod techniques poor. So look, guys, legs first, extend them first. I know it's slower, it's a little more difficult. But use your legs first, then use the centre column if you need to. Simple.
0: Very good. And and just just to add to that, I'm pretty sure we have have covered this off before in a a pod before, but I'm going to say it again. I used to work in photographic retail and you used to have people coming in who would spend back in the day hundreds, sometimes thousands of pounds on camera kit and then would would go, oh, I need a tripod and spend 10 to £15 on one and it, it's like it's the falsest of false economies to, yes, to, to drop agrees. all that money on your kit and then go out and buy a tripod that is you know 20 30 quid it it just is there is there
1: is absolutely no point in it like driving a porsche with bald tires yeah <laughs> Absolutely. I like what, um, are you familiar with that particular situation cmw's with ball tires i like will's slogan legs first i think someone should um, adopt that as a kind of a some tripod manufacturer should adopt it and also funnily enough that's the way that i fell over in the peak district leg
0: <laughs> well maybe you should maybe maybe that's just a general rule for you in life kings is think about your legs first <laughs> they are long legs they are, yes you shouldn't be long. so tall yeah. well gents thank you very much so um that just leaves me to actually in 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 line with previous podcasts i think we should we should probably leave our listeners with a little bit of a cliffhanger and that is to say that in a couple of weeks we will be back with another photography news podcast and there will be a very exciting announcement on that particular podcast so please do make sure that you uh you listen in to that but for now and to leave you in all on tenterhooks, thank you very much to contributing editor, iPhone user, <laughs> and general faller-overer, Kingsley Singleton. Thanks, Kingsley. You're oh, very welcome. I hope you get an Apple sponsorship out of this, actually. <laughs> that could be the exciting news. You never know. And also, thanks also, Will, in glorious sharpness, thanks to your webcam. Speech again, Mr. Photography, Will Chung. Thanks very much. Take care, guys. Okay. And we'll see you all very soon.
1: Okay, great. All right, are we ready?
0: <sighs> <God>. Yes! <laughs> yes! <Yeah. laughs> in his hands. Kingsley yawning, Will with his head
1: in his hands. I, I thought Will was going to weep at that moment. <laughs> okay, good, good. All
0: right.